Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. Just to let people know that uh, the Arsecast Extra schedule could be a bit all over the place mm-hmm. um, in the weeks and, and months ahead because, you know, top secret, you've got a, you know, that role in the new Star Wars movie directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, oh, sure. shit. Let the cat out of the bag there. <laughs> Fuck. What it, I can't remember what job. Was it on one of the Patreon pods where, or was it on the Ask Us Extra where we talked about some job that I'd got that we'd kind of made up? I can't yeah, remember. I can't remember either. So many yeah, podcasts. Something like that. Anyway, yeah, yeah. yes. But so I guess sometimes it'll be early, sometimes it'll be late. It'll be a surprise every time. Yeah. Yeah, for us too. Um, so yeah, just to let you know that the usual sort of Monday morning, Monday afternoon, lunchtime schedule, we'll try and stick to that as much as we can, but there are going to be times where it's going to be out of our control. So it could be a Sunday or it could be a Monday evening. Um, so I just wanted to uh, to let people know, you know, it's it's good to to keep people informed so there's no disappointment, yeah. all that it's kind of It's part of people's routine. People what? are going to be upset, but, Yeah, you know... <sighs> needs must needs must and listen sometimes you get a very exciting match of football like arsenal had on saturday and it means you get to talk about it all the sooner yeah well that is true that is true and what a what an emirates cup win it was i mean in the pantheon already (laughs) to add to the florida cup the 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 pre-season hall continues i think there was some sort of trophy they gave us in baltimore as well Oh really? What was it? The the kind of nice food in the press box trophy? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I presented that to the guys. Um, so yeah, we're racking up preseason silverware. Next, next, surely the Premier League, uh, inevitably. Sure, we did have like a load of a load of questions like that from the Discord. Luke Kempner said, "How many points will we win the league by?" Uh, yeah. Spaceman Trooper says, "Goodly morning, gents. What month are we going to win the league this season, and by how many points?" I mean, it feels. It'd be, it'd be nice if we could have it in the bag before the World Cup. Do you know what I mean? I don't think I don't think that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Unless, well, let's see. Yeah, let's see. I, you know, what, we shouldn't be bound by uh, logic or mathematics in our aspirations <laughs> this season. Well, look, it is uh, another Emirates Cup triumph for the Arsenal at home, and um, yeah, I mean, this is this is the first preseason game that I watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, for 90 minutes. Oh, okay, real time. Yeah, real time. It was on at a, you know, a reasonable hour. I don't go to bed these days until, you know, probably three, three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, you sure. know, get my head down. I can, I can stay awake that long. But um, yeah, I mean, it went better than I thought it was going to go. Uh, you know, Sevilla are a decent team. Maybe they're a little further back in their preparations than we are, but that blitz... That first half blitz was was really something, wasn't it? Yeah. If if they weren't further back in their preparations, they are now. Yeah. Um, yeah. After what Arsenal did to them, I mean, yeah, it, it was quite impressive. And obviously, Arsenal had played in midweek behind closed doors, um, a defeat to Brentford with with a very. Uh, I, I guess you know a lot of the squad players played in that game, which was an yeah. indication that this was going to be a very strong lineup. I think uh, there's every chance this is the lineup that will play in the Premier League mm-hmm. against Crystal Palace on Friday night. I think this is the lineup that started against Chelsea as well. So a bit of consistency there. And yeah, they came out the blocks absolutely flying. I mean, I hear, I, I actually am one of the people who thought, oh, it won't sell out. I'll pick up a ticket near the time. Mm. And such is the excitement around pre-season and, um, some of the new arrivals and the form that we've been showing that it, it did indeed sell out. I hear there was a great atmosphere around the ground before the game and at the game and Arsenal seemed to respond to that and, yeah, came out the blocks flying. Yeah, and, you know, what? what's interesting about this is, like, I thought around, I don't know, the hour mark or so, we were going to get quite a few changes. I mm. thought we would get, you know, substitutions, uh, players coming on for a run around, making sure that players weren't um, injured or anything like that. But it was, I think it was around 75 minutes when Bakayo Saka took a whack in the box. Uh, you know, he went to kick the ball. I think he kicked the defender and he hurt himself and he's lying there. And I'm thinking, ah, fuck, come on. You know, we don't want, we don't want any of this nonsense. And I'm going, come on, Mikhail, you get him off straight away. Come on, straight away. And it still took a few minutes for the changes to be made. I think he played, you know, 78, 79 minutes, whatever it was. And that was how, you know, how long it took for Mikel Arteta to make his first change. So clearly the plan for this game was, you know, to give them as close to 90 minutes as possible to make sure they're as match fit, as match ready as possible for Friday night. Because I think uh, we had a question about like, pick your team for the Crystal Palace game on, on Friday night. I mean, you don't pick anything different than that, do you? No, I mean, I guess the only players who you would say might be in consideration where they fully fit would be Kieran Tierney and mm. Takiro Tomiyasu. They were both involved in a session uh, that took place on the Emirates pitch after the game. Uh, I think all the subs and the players who weren't involved took part in kind of a, a fairly involved session. I think it was a bit more than just a warm down. Um well, but, you've got to warm up to warm down. They didn't even do the warming up bit, you know? Exactly. So, but but the biggest issue for them is even if they're in full contact training next week, they haven't really got any minutes, as Mikel yeah. Arteta said in his press conference. So, yeah, I, I think 
probably they've had a suspicion for some time this would be the starting eleven on the opening day. And I think it was interesting to see them given that long on the pitch. And I guess the encouraging thing is it, it looks like some understanding is developing and some really interesting sort of tactical developments, mm. both both in the back four and the front four, really. Yeah, I watched a video last night on, on TIFO. Um, JJ Bull did a really good tactical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't getting emotional there. My voice is still a little bit croaky. So, it is uh, really good. So yeah, it yeah. Might, that might be why. <laughs> yeah, just the thought of it is, is bringing me to tears. The, the beauty, yeah. The way he moves those little bits around with his soft Scottish lilt. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it was very interesting. And in particular, the way that the two fullbacks, as you say, the back four, the two fullbacks, tucking into central midfield when we go forward. Um, and, you know, the two players in question, both very good ball players, Zinchenko and Ben White at right back. And, and you know, when you look at that back four, I know we're going to talk about the goals and we're going to talk about all of that because, you know, that's the most exciting part. But, you know, I looked at that back four yesterday. I looked at the goalkeeper behind them and, you know, I'm looking at that going, holy cow. You know, it's not long ago we had people like Mustafi, like mm. um, Socrates, like uh, David Luiz, who I know had some good moments for Arsenal, but was capable of some, you know, really poor stuff as well. Licksteiner. Uh, Licksteiner. You know, and and you're thinking, Jesus, this this is this is an impressive, physical, dominant manly, if that's the wrong word to use, I don't quite know, but you look at Ben White, you look at Saliba, you look at Gabriel, you look at Zinchenko, you look at Ramsdale, you're thinking, Jesus, this is this is high-quality defensive unit here. And, um, yeah, I, I, I like that because I, I, I do think it's, you know, it's obviously part of what Mikel Arteta has done in the last 18 months, two years, is, is sort of add to the defensive side of our game. Last summer, most of the signings were defensive rather than offensive. And we've obviously changed that around a bit this this summer. But I was looking at that going, that is a good platform from which to build a team which can attack. You know, because you can't build a team that attacks when your your defenders are helter-skelter, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for long spells of this game, when Arsenal were in possession, certainly when balls in the opponent's half it was kind of a two three five you know with the centre-backs Saliba and Gabriel being entrusted to kind of have the recovery pace if needed White and Zinchenko tucked in almost to central midfield as deep playmakers and then in front of that so much energy and speed and directness Mm. So, yeah, you know, you mentioned that back five, and and this is certainly true of them, but I think it's probably true throughout the team. It is the age profile as well that makes it so exciting. You know, these are guys coming into their prime years rather than being at the end of them, and and that makes such a difference too. Yeah, it does, it does. But look, clearly what caught the eye yesterday uh, against... Sevilla was the attack and the mm-hmm. way we attack and the difference in the way we attack. Um, what was the Mikel Arteta quote? Did you see that quote that he um, dropped after the game? Um, 
where is it here? If I can find it. Uh, bum, bum, bum. Let's see. Okay. He was talking about Gabriel Jesus. And he said, uh, what we're seeing is that everybody, not just Gabby, plays at that intensity, that willingness to win the ball, to promote mistakes and to play in the opposition's half as much as possible. You cannot do that if the players in front are walking. They're not tracking. They don't have that instinct and that intention to provoke things that we want. And, and Gabby is phenomenal at that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, without casting aspersions or, or anything else about uh, anyone else. But, I mean, you can see the difference. You can see the difference and what a difference it makes to the way that you can play. Uh, absolutely. And... I think it's interesting that Arteta used the word instincts, actually. You know, he, he didn't talk about ability to do it, and I'm sure that's a big part of the difference. But it is in Jesus's nature to do this. Yeah. It is a fundamental part of who he is as a player and always has been. And he, there are few better in the world at that kind of harrying and pressing and off-the-ball work. Um, and, yeah, it, it has energised the front line. Because Martin Odegaard, to be honest, I think had shown in his 18 months at Arsenal a, a willingness and a capacity to press, but it wasn't always matched by the intensity of the guys around him. And I think putting Jesus in there, as well as Martinelli, who came into the team, obviously, in the last year or so, mm. it has just lifted the intensity of the whole thing. And, and Sevilla, who might have been a bit behind and you know certainly are a few, couple of signings away from where they want to be, just couldn't live with it at all, particularly in that opening period. And Arsenal no. were absolutely electric. Did you see the Pep Guardiola quote that was doing the rounds? A little interview he did, I think it was before the game anyway. Um, it was at the end of the week and he was talking about Gabriel Jesus. And he said, he is the best striker defender I have ever found to play in three positions. He can play five minutes, he plays the best five minutes of his life. He plays 90 minutes, he will give everything. I mean, it's unusual for, you know, a, um, a striker to be described as a defender as well. But you can see absolutely what he means by that. Like, he's yeah. not a center half, but, you know, what he gives you from the front. Like, if attack is your first line of defense, well, this guy is absolutely brilliant at it. Yeah, and I think we've kind of always um, sensed or understood that Arteta wanted that from a center forward. And I think... Uh, for some people, that was almost a frustration at times, you know, that those aspects of centre-forward play were something Arteta focused on. But the, the, the trick with Jesus, of course, is that he's putting the ball in the back of the net as mm. well. And his, you know, he got, I mean, he got a hat-trick yesterday. He can't do much better than that. And I think, you know, he does seem someone who is capable of, as Guardiola put it, being a striker as well as a defender. So, he, I mean... I, I, my only word of caution is that it's pre-season and these are friendly games. But in terms of his impact in his short period of time with the club, you could not ask for anything more than what he's done to this point. It's the fit and the ease with which he's kind of seamlessly mm. stepped into that front line is incredibly exciting. And uh, yeah, I mean, if, if it carries on like this into the season proper, Arsenal are really onto a good thing. Yeah, I know what you're saying, you know, about pre-season and, he, you know, the, the proof of the pudding will be what he does 
uh, in the Premier League and in the Europa League and, you know, all, all of that stuff. You know, when the games are competitive, when they mean something, when, they're, mm-hmm. when there are points at stake, of course, we all, we all understand that. But, you know, I would much rather be sitting here talking to you uh, and talking to the listeners today, like, full of anticipation and excitement about what Gabriel Jesus could potentially do based on what I've seen him do in these preseason games than sitting here going, well, you know, it's only preseason. He might need a little bit of time to settle in. You can't make any judgments yet, et cetera, et cetera. Like, we all understand. We all know what's what. But when you see a guy almost transform your team and how it plays, it's really difficult not to be excited about what he can do when the game's matter you know because you know doing it in doing it in these games um you know is an indication that he can do it in other games and i think the first goal in particular really highlights everything that he is going to bring to this team and what he brings that is different you know he picked up a ball on the left hand side i think it was was it ben white um crossfield pass from ben white mm-hmm. picked up the ball drove inside made a pass kept running and by the time the ball had broken in the box, he was in there. He was first to the ball. And I love his movement. I love his pace. I love the way he has this drive and this energy to get in the box. But what I love most, I think, is the quick feet, how rapidly he can adjust his body, get a shot away. You know, he had to sort of stop check and then hit the ball with his left foot for that first goal. And we've seen forwards in the not-too-distant past take a touch, take another touch, and by the time they do that, they're crowded out and you can't even get a shot away. So all of those things combined really uh, make a huge difference to what we can do from an attacking perspective. Definitely, yeah. And, and that was an interesting goal because it, it was white with that crossfield pass from that sort of central midfield area. Jesus, who... You know, there's a lot of interchanging of positions at times from that uh, front four, front three yesterday, a lot of fluidity, times where Saka popped up on the left as well as the right, Jesus and Martinelli kind of combined and, and swapped on occasion. And that that's also brought an element of unpredictability, I think, to the Arsenal attack, which, you know, you haven't always been able to say in the last few years. So I love that goal. Uh, to be fair, I loved all his goals. I mean, yeah. the second one uh, is a great ball from Martinelli. And I, and I think he was on side. I know it looked off... But and there wasn't a kind of massively convincing replay, but um, I think he was just about on, and it's a great run and a really good first time finish. That's a really interesting combination, isn't it, Martinelli yeah, Jesus? Sure. And I think the quality of Martinelli's delivery, his set piece delivery, was was really high, and that kind of it, it looks to me like it's something he's worked on. Mm, I don't know about definitely. you, but that that kind of lower, almost dare I say it, dare I say Beckham esque delivery, the sort of flatter trajectory, so the ball gets there quicker. And that link up between him and Gabriel Jesus, you know, from the right-hand side, that cross to the back post. I know Tim Silman talked about that a bit, that kind of goal that he scores. Um, you know, that was, a, that was a superb goal. And I think we'll see that link up pretty often this season. Definitely. And, and actually, you mentioned Martinelli's deliver, delivery. I mean, I thought Arsenal looked dangerous on set pieces yesterday. And that's partly a consequence of better, flatter, pacier delivery, but also the size we talked about, you know, with those players coming into the back four we have now. Mm. Um, but yeah, love this goal. Great run, great ball, great finish. Martinelli, 
pretty unlucky, I thought, not to get a, a goal on the day. He worked so hard and, and he was very unselfish as well in the last minute, wasn't he, when he went through and yeah. had Eddie with him. But, you know, if you're playing in those wide areas, you need to be a provider as well as a goal scorer. And if he can add that string to his bow, then... Yeah. Because uh, I, I think a lot of the time, the criticism of Martinelli is... You know, can he be, is he sometimes too direct? Does his head go down? Is he always looking to get the shot away? To be honest, I, it's not a criticism I massively agree with because I think that's part of his strength, that directness. And I wouldn't want to take that threat out of his game. But I think he can be a provider as well. And he showed that with that brilliant pass. Yeah, I mean, look, it doesn't matter really who scores the goals once we score the goals. Like yeah. th- there was part of me going, go on, you know, just finish. You're one-on-one with the goalkeeper. You're in the last minute of a game in preseason. We're winning 5-0. You know, this is a chance for you to just sort of maybe build your confidence as a finisher. But I suppose the the kind of team ethic Mikel Arteta is trying to build means that if you can provide a 99% chance to a teammate when you've got a, I don't know, is it 50-50? How do you say one-on-one? I don't know what the percentage is, but like if you roll it to Eddie and Kedia, um, who can roll it into an empty net, I mean, nine times out of 10, that's going in the back of the net. Maybe the goalkeeper will make a good save. So he's playing the odds, I guess, on the basis of what the manager has told him, whether it's 5-0 in a preseason game or whether it's 0-0 in a Premier League game in the 90th minute. You know, do you want him to take the shot or do you want him to roll it across to a player who's in a better position? So mm-hmm. I suppose it's about the consistency of your decision making based on the training and the instructions that you're being given by the manager. Yeah, I like that he rolled it across to Eddie. I think it shows a maturity. I mean, Thierry Henry was the greatest goal scorer in the history of this club, but I've lost count of the amount of times he played in teammates in similar positions. You know, he can mm. be so unselfish in those scenarios. Um I think you've always got to put the team first. Martinelli did. And actually, you know, it's never going to make as many headlines as Jesus's impact. And it is slightly different. But Eddie Nketiah has scored in a lot of these pre-season friendlies. And that's no bad thing because we're certainly going to need more than one centre forward yeah. um, over the coming months. But Kai Osaka scored the first goal from the penalty spot. Um, yeah. I feel like, was there a penalty that we got last season? Uh, maybe in the... I want to say that Chelsea. I don't know. There was a home league game, I'm sure, which was very similar. Similar bump in the back. Um, yeah, and Sevilla were furious about the award, weren't they? But it they were. It looked. I mean, it looked pretty um, stone cold to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's one of those where I think you, as a defender, you chance your arm a bit and just say, "No, he stopped momentum. Not really." But I mean, when you lo- when you saw the replay, he, he basically shoved him in the back, and, yeah. and Saka There's Saka no made sure, yeah, no complaints at all. Um, and yeah, Saka puts it away, and then the, I mean, the the second goal Saka got, which I think was what made it um, four, four nil. nil. Yeah, I mean, it was just a catastrophe, really, from a severe perspective, wasn't it? It was a bad um, kick out from the goalkeeper Bono. Yeah. Uh, he still couldn't find what he was looking for at that point. Um, uh, but I mean, you know, I, I think in part you have to look at the way that Arsenal were pressing and look yeah. at how high up the pitch they were pressing and the intensity with which they were pressing, which maybe just puts that little bit of doubt in the goalkeeper's mind. I guess so. That's true. And and Arsenal, that was one of those instances where, you know, the front line had rotated a little. Mm. I think uh, Saka was on the left, Martinelli on the right. 
Um, a Martinelli pressure actually forced the ball back to the goalkeeper. Then Jesus was closing the angle. Saka closing down as well. Shaka and Odegaard, if you look at it, are actually not far behind. I mean, when Saka strikes the ball, you know, five Arsenal attacking players are within 25 yards mm. of the goal against three severe defenders. Um, that said, the goalkeeper won't reflect on that one too fondly. Not only did he pass it straight to the Arsenal player, it, it seemed to go, I think, through his legs as well. So not yeah. a great moment for him. No, not but a yeah, great good moment. work from the Arsenal attack. Yeah, and then, you know, we went a long time without scoring a goal, at which point I wanted, you know, a change of owner, change of manager, change of technical <laughs> director. I was, sure. I was, you know, glutton for more goals. But, you know, when you do blitz a team like that, I, you know, the one thing that I did worry about, and there was a couple of little fouls from Sevilla, I was a little bit worried that they might get super frustrated and someone would get a kick and, mm. and everything else. Yeah, uh, Saka it, it, got picked up a knock, didn't he? Yeah, and- there was a couple, you know, but I, I thought maybe, you know, you know what it's like when you're playing and you're 4-0 down after 19 minutes or whatever it is. It's like, well, I'm just going to kick some fucker. Yeah. Um, but thankfully... Thankfully, that didn't uh, that didn't happen. Uh, and look, it's it's understandable to an extent, isn't it, that when you are four nil up, you know you you do take your foot off the gas just a little bit. Yeah, and I wonder if the instructions from Mikel Teta might have been quite different in that second half. You know, yeah. As much as it would have been fun to say go out and play with the same intensity, maybe he said, you know, let's try and exhibit some control or you know change the pace of the game. I also think Sevilla adapted what they were doing a little bit uh, too. Um, they put a bit more pressure on our defenders in possession. Uh, they didn't take quite so many risks at the back. But, you know, in the end, Arsenal's quality came through. And actually, when the subs came on, I thought it brought a sort of uh, an energisation to the team, which enabled us to go on and get an, a couple of extra goals. And, and the Jesus hat-trick goal, by the way, yeah. which made it 5-0, you mentioned his quick... Oof. footwork and yeah, good yeah, first yeah. touch that was the best example really I thought oh it really was because I thought I thought it had gone in um, Gabriel's header was saved but Jesus got there and before the defender can even steady himself really he's got the shot away mm. like it's in the top corner the de- defender's going okay I'm here and then like bam bam and it's in the top corner you're like holy fuck this guy has quick feet quick accurate feet which is, yeah. you know, an important aspect. I mean, quick as you like if he's fucking them, you know, over the bar or whatever. But like top corner, bang. Um, and I do think that for a striker, confidence is absolutely critical. And yeah. the preseason that he's had for Arsenal and that introduction to the Emirates Stadium, now he should be going into the Premier League season feeling on top of the world. And that yeah. is what you want for your centre forward. Yeah, and the team as well. You know, going into the first game of the season, they've had a, a very, very good preseason. Um, you know, again, you chalk it down, you put it to one side. It doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. But like I said, you know, when talking about Gabriel Jesus, I'd much rather my team was going into the first game of the season feeling happy and confident and, you know, looking good, technically good, physically good, scoring goals, not conceding many goals. You know, I prefer that as a scenario going into the first game of the season. It doesn't mean that anything is guaranteed or assured, but, you know, you have to try and build things in football and and this is a team that looks like, um, you know, after the disappointment of the end of last season, it looks like it is determined 
to you know to improve and to keep the trajectory on the upwards um and yeah look i don't think you could ask you know on the pitch for much more from preseason than we got no and i think the first premier league game <laughs> is exactly the right sort of test because i think in many ways Selhurst park is where the wheels came off a bit for Arsenal last season, you know, mm. in terms of the, both the result and the players lost to injury. Um, I don't think any of us will look back on that match particularly fondly and it will be a test. So uh, yeah, if Arsenal, you know, are looking for an opportunity to show mm. their metal, then Selhurst Park definitely provides it. And, and I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about uh, the way the team's looking. How could you not be, after the preseason you've had, you know, maybe you can debate whether or not preseason matters, but we'd all rather have a good preseason yeah, than a bad one. Exactly. And and you know, afterwards Mikel Arteta, you know, was asked about the players who weren't there, Tommy Asu, Tierney, Vieira, Smith Rowe. He is expecting them to be available for Friday based on the comments that he made post game. So that, you know, is another little boost. I don't think any of them are ready to start. Yeah. Um but to have them on the bench and to have those options on the bench will be very, very useful because it is going to be, it is going to be a tough, uh, a tough opening game. But look, we can talk more about Crystal Palace during the week, and we'll be previewing that uh, in all the usual places. Um, what else? I mean, I suppose you should talk about Martin Odegaard being named club captain. Yeah, before the game, they announced it. Right? Mm. Um, no surprise, I don't think. No great surprise, and we wondered, you know, when they would choose to do it. I, I think, yeah, I, I think, it, I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? Because it's felt so inevitable for quite some time that it, in some ways, some of the other candidates um, mm. have kind of internally dismissed them, if you see what I mean, uh, because we've kind of known it would be Odegaard based on the way things have gone over the past few months. But it does feel like a good choice. I mean, he's a player who... He's going to play a lot of football, uh, is the right age, I think, for this group. And in terms of his sort of professionalism and his application, is he's kind of exactly what Mikel Arteta wants from a player. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was... Um... There was a a comment more than a question, really, on the on the Discord from C White ninety who said, "Have we taken enough time to reflect on Martin Odegaard's Arsenal journey? He went from a lone player to signing to the obvious choice for club captain in eighteen months, and he's just twenty three years old. It's incredible, you know. And I think there's you know there's something there's something to that, isn't there? That you know he wasn't um, you know he." <sighs> joined Real Madrid at such an early age and there was such hype and expectation about him and you know he did have good loan spells there's no two ways about it a great loan spell at Real Sociedad and he had a very good loan spell with us but mm. you know to come in to become that important like you remember I'm sure like there was a point last season was it around the Leicester game I think it was he wasn't in the 11 he wasn't yeah, in the was, 11 and quite there was an extended period I yeah. think it was about eight games something like that yeah i mean certainly a few games where you know people were questioning whether or not um you know he deserved his place in the team and i think it was lacazette who was starting at the time with with Aubameyang, but you know very quickly made himself extremely important i think he is i think he's a very intelligent guy and a very intelligent player and that's why he's got sort of the ear of the manager if you like when it comes to 
on-pitch instructions and tactical things and and everything else. So, yeah, I think it's a, a very good appointment. There was another question as well um, from where is it here? Uh, Paddy also on the Discord. He said, "I think Odegaard is an excellent choice for captain, but who would be your choice for vice captain?" Personally, I would give it to Saka if it means he'll sign the contract, but it could be a bit early for that responsibility. What do you guys think? And I don't know. I mean, when when Mikel Arteta was captain, Per Mertesacker was the the official vice captain. You know, mm. I, I don't know if we're doing that. Are we doing that? Well, we I know there's a leadership group, isn't America, there? And he said it will be a captain and a wider group. And he mm. didn't mention a vice. I mean, it may be that there is a hierarchy within that group and there is a, a clear vice, but uh, he spoke about it as a captain and then a kind of leader, leadership senior group who will support the captain and also kind of, you know, represent the squad. So... Uh, it's a good question. I mean, when when he's not there, who would we expect it to be? I mean, people who've worn the armband of late include the likes of Tierney, um, Holding. We've even seen Shaka with it mm. here and there in the second halves of games. Um, Do you think Shaka could be like the unof- the unofficial vice captain, if you like? Maybe. I mean, I just I, it's such a point of pride with him that. I'm not sure how keen he is to wear the armband again, given what happened last time. I mean, it would, I suppose, be kind of the you know the, the ultimate endpoint of his redemption arc. But um, I'm also not sure it, it massively matters to him. I think he's basically the same game in, game out, whether or not he's captain. Um, I think Saka would be quite an interesting sort of symbolic choice you know mm. i know he's not a chest thumping captain in the way that you envisage but well neither is Odegaard, so you know exactly and and he is the a, a symbol of the football club you know so yeah. um i mean who do you think will, will what will what will constitute the wider leadership group would you imagine i would imagine kieran tierney yeah i would imagine I would imagine Ben White. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, one of the new signings like Jesus or Zinchenko was in there because of what they bring in terms of mentality and experience. Mm. Um, but, I mean, how big can you have it? How big do you need it? And and look, at the end of the day, I think Odegaard said it himself, you know, leadership isn't just down to the captain or the vice captain. It's It's something that... Pretty much you want from everybody as much as possible. Not everyone is a natural leader, you know. We know that. There are players who are just happy to be there, get on with their jobs and and everything else. But, you know, it really depends what your definition of leadership is. Is it, you know, being professional, doing your job, taking responsibility on the pitch, et cetera, et cetera. You know, those are things that you can ask for players, whether or not they're natural leaders, you know, in inverted commas. Yeah, I think also like there are people within the group whose seniority or longevity at the mm. club will see them included. You know, certainly somebody like Shaka Holding. Um, I wonder if even you know I've uh, left field examples like Mohamed El Neni. I think it, it'll be as much about 
a sort of personality and contribution to the group as importance to the team. But mm. I'm not sure that will be made public. You know, I'm not sure there'll be a kind of announcement of that. It's sort of an internal dressing room thing. But yeah, I, in, in answer to the original question, who will wear it when Odegaard is out? I, I, I'd be I'd be happy with Saka. I'd be happy with Saka. Um, mm. Some may feel it's a big burden on young shoulders, but he's got the number seven shirt. He's probably one of the best players in the team. Doesn't seem to have bothered him too much thus far. No, that's uh, true. That's true. I mean, I think Tierney is probably the, you know, the, he was the guy who wore it quite a bit last season as well. Mm-hmm, um, so it might it might be him, but of course, you know, much will depend on, on fitness and everything else. Yeah. Um, some people might be a little uneasy at the sort of, uh, handing the captaincy or leadership position to to someone as a kind of incentive for them to stay. Um, but I'm not sure the two things would be connected. Uh, I guess it depends what Mikel Arteta thinks of Bukayo Saka and, and, you know, whether or not this is something that he needs thrust upon him, you know, after a... Uh, you know, a period in his career where he had a lot thrust upon him and was in the spotlight in a very, very uh, big way after what happened in the final of, of Euro 2020. Yeah, um, and that's uh, that's something with who people who are, you know, working with every day will be in a better position to assess. I'd be, there's plenty of players there I'd be comfortable with wearing yeah. it though, you know, Shaka, White, Tierney, whoever it might be. Um, yeah, it's good that we were not looking at the squad going, hmm, who? Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, which was the case, you know, not too long ago, and I think, um, but yeah, Odegaard's. You make a good point about his the speed of his sort of ascendancy to mm. Arsenal captain, and you know we shouldn't be surprised he's one of several international captains within the squad. Um, but yeah, he he he's someone who has always, you know, developed quite quickly and it's all been picked up by Madrid very early on. It hasn't been a smooth journey since then, but I think I get the sense that he's absolutely determined to go to the very top. And yeah, I think in terms of his attitude, his talent, his mentality, mm. he's a natural choice. And in some ways, you know, he's a bit of a sort of mini Mikel. So it doesn't surprise me that Arteta would choose him as his representative yeah. on the field. And I think as well, it, it's sort of, it also tallies with what's happened over the last 18 months or so at Arsenal. The change in the, the age profile of the squad, you know, people who've come through and made themselves really important very quickly. You know, someone like Emile Smith-Rowe is a great example of that, who was, you know, not, not available, not playing because he was injured in fairness. But as soon as he got into the team, became really important. And this changing profile of the team, of the squad, et cetera, et cetera, is sort of reflected in in Martin Odegaard. So, uh, yeah. Um, what else should we talk about in part one? Nuno Tavares is gone. Nuno Tavares is gone. I mean, listen, Marseille seems to have worked out quite well for uh, William Saliba. So mm. let's hope it can be another one of those. I think it's the right decision. Um, having signed Zinchenko and having Zinchenko and Tierney, you know, I, we talked about potential of fielding in the Europa League, and I think that that's true. It, you know, would have been a good option, but also being with Marseille for a full season mm. really enables him to actually settle somewhere, get a run of games, establish himself in the team, um, and potentially play a full campaign of 
first team football and I think that would do him the world of good and hmm. the situation can then be reassessed next summer I mean if I were to put you on the spot and say you know from one to ten where one is completely unlikely and ten is totally likely what would you say what would you grade his chances of coming back to Arsenal and and, and playing for us again because I think I'd be quite low on this one, particularly when you've got players like Zinchenko and Tierney. Yeah, it's sort of a paradox, isn't it? It's tricky because, like, obviously, the the if he doesn't do well at Marseille, then I think that doesn't bode well for him at Arsenal at all. If he does do well for Marseille, there's every chance they're going to want to keep him. And with Arsenal already having two left-backs, then... Um, they may be open to that. I I think mm. a lot will depend on Kieran Tierney, actually. I think that this is a really big season for him because of the injury problems he's had over the last few years, because of the challenge he now faces from the arrival of Zinchenko. Um, I think this is a, a, a massive season in his Arsenal career and... Um, how it goes may determine what happens to him next summer. You know, if he, if he, for example, falls behind Zinchenko in the pecking order for the Premier League games uh, over the course of this campaign, I can't see him being happy yeah. with that next summer. And then you're looking at a situation where maybe he does move on and maybe Tavares does come in. So mm. I, I'd say it's probably more likely than not that Tavares leaves in the end um, just because I'm, I'm not convinced he's an Arteta guy as it were but um, I think that whole left back area is is quite interesting yeah and yeah I, I, I mean it was a long time ago now I think it was probably around the game we lost against Spurs where we played 35 crosses something like that it was one of the lockdown games but I remember having a conversation uh, on here about how I think Kieran Tierney is a very good fullback, but I'm not sure he's exactly a Mikel Arteta fullback. And I, I still kind of have that nagging doubt. Mm. And if anything, the signing of Sinchenko and the pursuit of Lissandro Martinez makes me think that all the more. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we did have that's, a question. Not to say there won't be games no, where no, no, be necessary. I agree. You know? and, and like, I think, you know, I think we forget that last season, Kieran Tierney probably had his best season defensively. Mm. for Arsenal. Um, and I know we're talking about the fullbacks inverting and playing in field quite a lot and, and everything else. But defensively, he was very, very good, very solid. But I agree with you that this is a big season for him. There was a question on Twitter from Greylow who said, what do you think about Tierney's long-term prospects at the club? I'm worried about his ability to stay healthy and I wonder if Arsenal are prepping him for a sale at the end of the season. You know, and I understand those concerns. I also remember last season when Nuno Tavares came in and did well, there were similar conversations like, is this the end for Kieran Tierney? <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, we might need to see a little bit more from Nuno Tavares before, you know, we, we get a bit uh, carried away with ourselves here. I think the thing about Tavares, for me anyway, um, it's that he's much more of a wingback than a fullback. And... He may well do very well at Marseille where they play, um, you know, with wingbacks 
I think the flaws in his game are are too easily exposed when he's playing as a fullback. And I think that's the major impediment for him, even if you have Zinchenko and Kieran Tierney in, in the pecking order ahead of him. So I know Mikel Arteta said this is like, this is a development loan. It'll be great for his progress and all that kind of stuff. I just can't really see much of a future for him. I hope he does really well in Marseille because at the very least what it will do is, you know, give Arsenal a, a decision to make. And if he does well and Marseille want to buy him and other clubs are looking at him going, hey, this guy's pretty good. We could, you know, we could take a chance on him. You know, we might be in a position next season where you're thinking, okay, this is a guy we could sell for a few quid rather than where we are with many of the players that we don't want in the squad right now where we're struggling to move them on. So Absolutely, yeah. And that comes back to kind of the Edu conversation that we had mm. last week about moving players on. You know, Tavares is someone who anyone who's watched him play for Arsenal will tell you he's got flaws as well as strengths. But there were a number of European clubs um, who were really interested in taking him, Look, albeit on loan in the first instance. But if he does well, there probably is a profit to be made there for Arsenal. Mm. And a lot of that is to do with his age and his potential and his upside. So I think that's a good development for the squad. And I do think that it's really interesting, this set of fullbacks that Arsenal potentially have at their disposal now. I mean, Zinchenko and Tierney, I don't think you could really get too much more different exponents of of that left-back position. Mm. Um and, you know, they both have strengths and weaknesses. Tierney, I think, is definitely a, a better defender, certainly around the penalty box. Um, probably less of an effective passer than Zinchenko. Uh, Tierney may be a, a better crosser or better at getting to the byline, better at providing width, whereas Zinchenko much better in the kind of internal midfield areas. And, and it may be a kind of a pick-and-choose approach, depending on the opponent. I think even on the right-hand side... Some of the same conversations can be had. Um, although I think Tommy Asu and White are are closer as as a pairing um, than Tommy Asu and Cedric, certainly. Yeah, but I mean, I think that that in itself is an interesting development, isn't it? That the the presence of Saliba means that you can use White at right back, and he's such a good footballer that he can do the job um, the way that Mikel Arteta wants him to do to do the job, and. Um, you know, I, it's not a, a a unique observation to to say that the the difference between Tommy Asu and Cedric, I don't even want to talk about quality, but if you talk about style, the difference is enormous. It is literally chalk and cheese. So mm-hmm. having someone like Ben White in those uh, in that right back position just makes a lot more sense, and that comes from having a. I suppose, a a better quality option at centre-half, with all due respect to him, than Rob Holding. So, Yeah, and we haven't really spoken about Saliba's performance against Sevilla, but, Mm. you know, he was impressive again. Some nice touches that, you know, you knew were going to get clipped up. Ooze and ass. Yeah, we had a couple of questions on him, so I was waiting for the second Okay, maybe we'll do that in part two. We'll do that in part two. Just very finally for part one, um, there were... 
questions about transfers. Mikel Arteta saying we're still hoping to do something if the market allows us to do that. You've seen some movement in the other direction in the last few days. So we want to get the perfect balance and the plan we wanted right uh, right at the beginning. He said whether we can accomplish that or not is another story, but I'm happy with where we are now. And I think, you know, I have to agree. I think I'm pretty happy with the squad that we have right now going into the new season. Like everybody, I'll take more. I want more. I'm greedy. Give me new signings. Give me better players any day of the week, you know, but I'm not going into this, uh, the first game of the season going, oh, Jesus, we've got a big problem in that position or that position or that position. Like, you can always add more quality. You can always add more depth. I think it's right that there might be one or two areas of concern, but there isn't anything outstanding where you're going, shit, you know, we got to get something done before Friday. Otherwise, you know, we could be fucked. So I don't think, I don't think, um, you know, the squad is in bad shape. I think it's too big. We've we've definitely got to move some players on, but, you know, are you still heartened by the idea that they're looking to, to do more and bring somebody else in as and when they can do that based on what, what seems to be the case anyway, on, on more players leaving? Yeah heartened but I'm not that surprised really I mean it was sort of similar last summer and you know I think there's a kind of a I think increasingly we're seeing the transfers generally can be split in sort of two phases which are you know clubs have initial targets that they go out and pursue quite hard quite early on mm. um, and they hope they land them and get them in for pre-season and then there's almost kind of a second window closer to the deadline yeah. where things start to move you know and a lot depends on kind of a domino effect in some instances. And there are quite a few dominoes certainly went to fall on the way out at Arsenal. I mean, you mentioned the squad is big. There is a long list of players who are available to leave. And I'm Mm. sure that that's a big part of the plan. How do they trim that down? And to what extent does that free them up to do more business? So hopefully um, that can get sorted out. You would think some of these players, I mean, the season is effectively underway next week so uh, hopefully that will motivate yeah. some of the, some of these moves to happen. I, well that's it just you know a very final point on this is that we often think about it from the club's perspective and like you know do we you know w- what do we do about all these players but at the end of the day these players also want to play you know they want to mm-hmm. play football and hopefully the fact that the season is starting and you know, there is the chance to go and play and train and, you know, be part of a team um, and play regularly. You would hope that that is going to drive some of the business that we need to do from an outward perspective. Yeah. So Tavares and Conquo uh, went out on loan this week. But mm. yeah, I'm sure in the coming weeks, more are going to follow. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, look, we'll leave it there for uh, part one. We will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at Shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. Before we go on with part two, I just want to mention, I know I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago as well, that there is a a story that we cannot discuss. And I just want to make it clear that we cannot discuss this for legal reasons. It's not that we're ignoring it. It's not that we don't have thoughts about it. It's not that we don't have concerns, but for legal reasons, it is not possible for us to discuss it or mention it in any substantive way. Um, I know there's been a huge amount of discussion online and everything else, and there's not much we can do about that. But I just want to, I just wanted to to say to people who are listening, who would normally expect us to talk about something like this, to address it, that as and when we can, we absolutely will. But until then, we are bound by the law, and there is not a thing we can do about that. And we have to respect that. And we have to respect the process and, and everything else. So mm-hmm. um, that's it. You know, I know it's a, it sounds absurd. It sounds ludicrous because of how much is going around online and everything else. But from our perspective, and, and not just us, but, you know, newspapers, other podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, that the idea of prejudicing an ongoing investigation, you know, for the sake of discussion, for the sake of anything else, is just not the right thing to do. So I just wanted to to make that clear to everyone. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Yeah, hundred percent. I wish uh, there mm. was more I could add, but there yeah. isn't. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it, it you know our discussion of preseason is kind of uh, couched by that, but it is what it is. So. Yeah. Exactly. And I know there's, you know, a lot of excitement out there and there's a lot of other feeling out there. And, you know, you're not alone in feeling like that, that there is an element of conflict when you're talking about football and not being able to talk about something else. You know, it's there. It's in the pit of my stomach and and everything else. But um, as I said, as and when it's something that we can discuss and discuss properly and fully, we will we will do that. Um, 
This is part two, where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. You've got a few days to sign up for our Fantasy Football League. Um, mm, I've got to do my team. Yeah, you've got to do your team. I've done my team already. I picked all the injured players I could pick. I better okay. go back and check that they're all injured again. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You but, want the good and injured ones. Yeah, but I've picked, like... Dougie Jones and <laughs> Steve Mallard and sure. Craig Mike Stand okay. says looking around <laughs> things Bob Foam you know all of <laughs> all of these guys who I've never heard of who I assume will never play for the teams uh, you know that they're 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 uh, they're playing for so I'm hoping you know that I can really really get uh, as few points as possible this season but there are big cash prizes 500 pounds 500 pounds 500 guineas for the winner, um, 500 euros it is for the winner. And there's Arsenal shirts and vouchers and the fourth place trophy and everything else. So if you want to sign up, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Do you want to go first with a question or will I? I? You go first, Andrew. All right. He says, uh, I should have a question lined up, shouldn't I? Um, I mentioned William Saliba, actually. and Who's that, sorry? <laughs> Uh, Maddie, who's at Maddie the Goon, said, simple question for the pod. Do you think Saliba is happy and content? He doesn't really look it. And there was one on the Discord here as well from Mumbai Gunner, who said, after the game yesterday, players were talking to each other in smaller groups. The only player who was standing on the side by himself was Saliba. Do you think it's worrying or is this just him being new to the group? Could it be that he's staying at Arsenal because he has to and not because he wants to? Hmm. Do you know what? I, that's not something I'm hugely worried about. I did not see him looking particularly disconnected during my time in the US. I think he seems to fit in quite well. As I mentioned last week, mm. his English is far better than I expected. Um, naturally, he's new and he's settling in. And this is probably the least francophonic French, uh, Arsenal squad I have ever known. Um, That's a good point, actually, yeah. Yeah. You know, it used to be if you were French at Arsenal, that was your in, you know? You you were part of the gang. Ooh, but like um, yeah. I think it's him. Um, I wonder, do, does Sabi Conga speak French? Maybe Granite. But, yeah, I mean, Pepe, obviously. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, and he may well go, it's uh, it's not a very Frenchy Arsenal, which is weird. Um, but I am not hugely concerned. Is he at Arsenal because he wants to be? That That's a great question, and I don't know the answer to it. I think, you know, obviously he's got a contract. And one thing that a lot of people close to Saliba did say to me in the spring was he wouldn't want to just walk away with it feeling like a failure on his CV, that he's mm. a very proud person and having made the decision to come to Arsenal as a teenager, he would want to put that right and show Arsenal and show fans and show the manager, show the owners what he can do. So I think there is a real motivation there. Um, I still think there is going to be a sort of element of, Suck it and see, you know, like I do think 
he he's going to want to see how this goes and how many minutes he gets before he mm. commits in the form of a contract. But it looks good for him right now. I mean, it looks like he's going to start the Premier League season in the first 11. Yeah. And, you know, that means something, right? For sure. For sure. Like, you know, it augurs well that he is... He is the one, for example, who is starting that game yesterday and not Rob Holding. Like, mm-hmm. I think if Rob Holding had started that game ahead of him yesterday, you'd be saying, okay, there's, there's, there's a problem here. There's an incompatibility here. There's, you know, yeah. there's, there's something not right. But I think I said to you last week, he, he just looks like a serious dude. Like, that's partly it as well. I mean, so in response to the original question, I mean, he's a very cool customer. He's not a guy who, uh, he can have a slightly detached air because that's sort of his demeanour. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I do think as well there probably is an element of him settling in, who are his mates, you know, who's he going to hang out with, who does he connect with, you know, on a on a personal level on the pitch. But, I mean, there's plenty of pictures out there. If you want to just, you know, take a moment where he's standing on his own, perhaps he's just standing there looking around going, whoa, look at this. Look at this fucking great stadium and these great fans on a sunny day and we've just beaten Sevilla 6 nil. and maybe he thought this might not happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there could be an element of that, but there's, you know, there's plenty of pictures from preseason where he's hanging out with the guys, he's hanging out with Ben White, you know, he's, you know, I, I, I you know, I do worry sometimes that we always uh, look for, you know, perhaps the, and understandably at times, you know, the, the most negative, and I'm not being critical of the people who ask the question, by the way. Um, you know, it's I think it's self-preservation in a way that you're looking for these things. But, you know, it might just yeah. take him a while to settle in. I think, you know, if he's here and if he's a, you know, a fixture in the first team between now and the World Cup, he's going to go to the World Cup, isn't he? With France. Oh, yeah, almost you know? certainly. So, and, and I think... You know, I may, I forgot to mention one French speaker in the group, which is obviously Gabrielle, centre-half partner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spent a couple of years with Lille. Um, and I'm sure, and they uh, would have come across each other in France, and I'm sure that will be helping him. Mm. Um, listen, I'm really encouraged and excited that he's here, that he's playing. He looks... Uh, he, <laughs> he, he, he looks like everything you would hope him to be. I mean... He is. There is something very commanding about his presence on the field, and in a way that I think I'm not sure any of our centre halves quite have that degree of presence. Maybe Gabriel, but there is something about his particular combination of physicality with a very cool head mm. that um, is very attractive. Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting this season to see what Mikel does with the three centre-halves that he has at his disposal. Because I, I think it's clear already that Saliba has moved above Rob Holding in the pecking order and I'm sure Holding will play games in the Cups and in Europe. But when it comes down to the Premier League, it is Gabriel, it is White and yeah. it is Saliba. Can I just um, follow up on this one, if you don't mind, with a, with a yeah. question um, from Henry Powell on the Discord. He said, with all the players fit, what would be your first back four or your first choice back four for the new season and you know I don't even know if we need to to necessarily have that debate because I wonder sometimes you know where we're going 
Like, what happens when Tommy Asu is fit? What happens when Kieran Tierney is fit? Like, are they going to be happy? Are they going to be, you know, who's going to be happy about being left out? And look, nobody's going to be happy about being left out. And my thought on this is like, this is a fucking great issue to have. 100%. This is like, I, I prefer this. You know what? You know who the best back four is? The one that plays because they're in form or they're, you know, doing the best in training or whatever it is. And again, I'm not being critical of the question in any way because I think it's a, it's a valid one, but I'd rather just see it play out. There's a load of football to play this season in Premier League, in Europe. You know, we don't have to be quite as fixed about players starting every game. Um, you know, what if you, what if Tommy Asu only starts 65% of the games, but in 65% of the games is 100% fit. You know, is that not better than what we had last season? Yeah, and it, uh, and some of these players we're talking about, Tierney, Tomiyasu, are guys who've had pretty substantial injury problems recently. Um, so I think a measure of rotation is inevitable. I think, as we said in part one, there'll be horses for courses to an extent. Mm. Like, I, I really like... The back four we picked yesterday. Yes. Would I pick it away to Man City? I don't know. You know, I might I might want Tomiyasu in and Tierney in and be a bit more stable defensively. Um but we've got that flexibility now. And yeah. I'm looking on that as a positive. Um but Saliba, you know, when it comes to the centre halves, is the man in possession. And if he starts the Premier League season well, what's to say? He won't stay there. And given where we were a matter of months ago and all the uncertainty that has existed around mm. his time at Arsenal, that's huge, huge progress. And he's, he, he um, you know, we, we've spoken about the business Arsenal have done, the signings they've made and the old cliche of like a new signing. That's absolutely what he does feel like right now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, let's have a question. This is about signings in a way. Alexander Muster said... Do you think we still need a starting left eight? Looking at Shaka right now, I guess it's difficult to argue against him. We also have Sambi, ESR and Vieira who could play here. Is a winger who can play across the front line the priority? I mean, I think quite a lot of this depends on where they see Vieira. Yeah. Um, I mean, Shaka's played really well. In preseason, really, yeah, I thought well. he was really good yesterday. I thought he actually. was very good yesterday as well. Um, and to be fair, I think he was pretty good last season as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I know there are things he doesn't that he can't do. You know, none of us are saying he's Andres Iniesta, but um, yeah, I, I, he he is very good. And actually, when you put Zinchenko in the left back role mm. and it sort of creates a bit of an interchange of position between them at times, I think that goes a little way towards offsetting some of what Shaka doesn't bring in the opponent's half. But yeah, I mean, if you were to ask me now to choose between the the mythical left eight mm. and another winger slash forward who could guarantee us or give us goals. I think I go with the winger forward, you know, mm. um, like I don't really have any great faith in Nicolas Pepe to score goals in this team for this team. Um, 
I mean, he well, came well, on to get the minutes, really. I mean, well, yeah, does Arteta even trust him enough to use? Well, him? that's I think it. One of the concerns. That's when it. He plays. He's goal. He's a goal threat. I think. Yeah, but he doesn't play. Um, yeah. So if you have an opportunity to fix that situation, yeah. to to take, to get Pepe out and bring in somebody who more fits with the manager pl- plan, um, I think that I think that is probably yeah the priority. I I think so too. What I would say though is that you know the the left eight, or if you bring in another midfielder. It does insulate you somewhat or or give you greater depth should you need to rejig your midfield at some point during the season. Mm-hmm. So I do wonder if that might be a consideration too. But, you know, on the basis of what we've got, um, I, I would like to see another, another dynamic forward. And we've talked about the need to protect Bakayo Saka to some extent as well. Um, yeah. And I do, I do think that's important. Yeah, I think so. You know, is there someone who can replicate what he offers? I'm not convinced there is really. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, there's not going to be. But if you could add a player of the calibre of someone like a Rafinha that Arsenal really wanted, I do think that just you know, brings you so much more depth and variety. And I'm fascinated to see what kind of impact Fabio Vieira is able to have this season. It's such a shame that... Mm. He's carried this injury into pre-season and not been able to contribute thus far because it means he's going to have to sort of build up minutes once the season is underway. And that's difficult, right? You need the right opportunities for Mm. a player to play. You don't just chuck them into a Premier League game from the start. Um, But my, he's one of my sort of, uh, I mean, it shouldn't be a kind of sneaky hunt for a player you've paid 35 million quid for, whatever it is. But I think as the season wears on, Mm. I do think he's going to become an increasingly important figure in this Yeah, team. I think so too. And look, the one thing I'd say as well is that, you know, the the first five games of the season with the five subs rule will probably allow you to give minutes to Fabio Vieira. You know, right. after Palace, it's Leicester, then Bournemouth, then Fulham, then Aston Villa. And look, I'm not taking a single thing for granted, but you would hope that we're in a position to give a guy some some minutes to make a contribution when perhaps the game is not, not necessarily done and dusted, but in our control. Mm-hmm. Or even if it's not, maybe he's the kind of guy who can come on and change a game or change the dynamic of a game. So I do think, you know, if he is fit and ready to be in the squad, if not necessarily ready to start just yet, by the end of August we should be in a position where he is you know much more match fit uh, than he is right now and and hopefully then ready to kick on yeah and it'd be very interesting to see where predominantly he's used i mean he can play so many different positions in this team mm. 8 10 wide um a sort of second striker so yeah, that I, I I wouldn't be surprised if in the first instance he's kind of moved around a bit until they see where he begins to look comfortable. But um, you know, he may end up being Martin Odegaard's understudy as well for the first yeah. few months. Yeah, I mean, season. I think they they probably have a good idea of where they see him and what kind of role they envisage for him. Uh, but we don't know because we haven't really seen uh, you know where he's played. You know, preseason might give you an idea of where a player is going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, his first couple of substitute appearances might be quite telling in in that regard. Definitely. Here's one from Banjo Martinelli Jr. It's a great name. Uh, his uh, at is Owen versus 
the world on Twitter. And he said, with reports that Reese Nelson is to be given a chance this season, what are we to make of Pepe getting minutes yesterday in the final tune-up and Nelson only getting a last-minute sub? Is it just a chance to advertise Pepe one last time? I mean, I, I felt sorry for Reese Nelson. And was it um, uh, Albert Sambi Lakonga who came on, you know, with a minute to go and literally they just stepped on the pitch and the final whistle went? That must be so annoying as a player. Yeah, he blew up as it ticked over 90, didn't he? There was no yeah. stoppage time even played. Uh, that was your chance, Reese. Uh, Hard luck, son. Off you go. Yeah, well, well played. Not on long enough to make an impact. Six. I think, um, yeah, I, 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 uh, well, it's interesting. I think this was slightly blown out of proportion. It came off the back of an article my colleague, Arthur Roche, wrote about Arsenal's wide options. And uh, I don't want to paraphrase Art, but he said something like, you know, Reese Nelson could be given opportunities to impress. And mm. I think people really extrapolated from that, that Nelson is uh, our new winger. I- I'm not sure that's um, cut and dry. It feels like language that would be used internally to all the players. You know, you'll be given your chance. Um, mm. but, but if somebody was willing to sign Reese Nelson, I think Arsenal would be quite receptive to that um, because it's difficult to see, isn't it? Exactly where he sits within the squad. If he's, if he's barely even getting a kick in pre-season, hmm. um, you slightly fear for him once competitive season's underway. I think it's time for Arsenal to make that decision on Nelson now um, and probably sell him in a deal that, you know, won't look hugely attractive, but, but covers Arsenal in the back end with sell-on clauses and things like that, Uh, something that protects them against his future development if he becomes a star. I think, you know, what what age is Reese Nelson now? 23, is he? 23, yeah. Look, I I don't... 22, 23 in December. He's still young. It's remarkable, really. But Mm. I don't doubt the talent. I just... I don't see the pathway for him necessarily at Arsenal. Um, And it strikes me that it it's a good opportunity to move somebody on for a fee with some benefits down the line. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's time. I think he needs to go. He needs to go and play regularly. I, I really feel like, you know, the season where he, he didn't go on loan in the summer and he didn't go on loan in January. And I think part of that was he decided that he didn't want to go on loan. He wanted to stay and fight for his place, which, you know, on the one hand, you can say, well, fair play. On the other, I really feel like that was a season where he his development stagnated. You know, he, he just didn't play. He barely played, barely kicked a ball in an entire season at, at 20 years of age, 19, 20 years of age. And I think those seasons at that age are so critical for the development of a young player. Whether he would have made it at Arsenal or not, I don't know. But I don't think... I don't think we'd be sitting here now talking about him in the same way if he'd gone on loan that that summer as well. You know, if he'd taken a season, played regularly somewhere, Arsenal might be more inclined to use him, but certainly other clubs would be more inclined to sign him. Yeah, um, and even Feyenoord, you know, mm. the season ended well, but it took quite a long time for him to establish himself in their team. You know, if he was to go on loan again, 
within the Premier League, um, that might be interesting if if he was under contract for long enough to make that worthwhile. But does what does he have a year left on his deal, or is there uh, an extension? I forget. He may have signed an extension when he joined Feyenoord on loan. I, I wouldn't quote me on that. I'm not sure. Um, I, I just, yeah, I'm just not sure. I see. Like I say, the, the, the pathway, the opportunity for him. Mm. Transfer um, Marked says 2023, uh, 2023, and it's not always right. So just... Yeah, but that's uh, an indication. I mean, mm. it may be that, you know, I, I, like I said, if it's my decision and there's a buyer, then I would sell Yeah, at this point in time. Um, and, if, and if we do start the season and, you know, we haven't brought in a wide player and Nelson is getting those minutes I do I think that would be a bit underwhelming to be honest yeah I agree um who wants a um paranoid question full of fear me so, <laughs> <laughs> Stefan Thor I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly um he'll hammer you if you're not yeah <laughs> says um with Saka's contract not signed <gasps> City losing yesterday and the seemingly friendly relationship between the clubs where they are willing to sell us quality players are you starting to feel a tiny bit uncomfortable is it just me <laughs> well I don't think it's uh, just you but I'm not feeling uncomfortable no, but I think there are other uncomfortable people out there, Stefan. Reach out to them. You can hold each other in an embrace like Pat Rice and Arsene Wenger on the yeah. final day of that Premier League season until I, such a time as that contract is agreed. I, I did say this before. I think he will sign a new contract um, with yeah. Arsenal. So do I. Um, when, I don't quite know, but you know, he looks happy. He's got responsibility. Everyone loves him. The team is going in the right direction. Like if Arsenal were in the doldrums right now, if this was a team that didn't look like it was going anywhere, like if our summer centre forward uh, centre forward signing was, I don't know, Andy Carroll, then you know I'd be a lot more concerned. Plan B, a plan B plan at B. last. Um, I would be a lot more concerned, but I, I just think that this there's a momentum here that he is part of and, and will continue to enjoy being part of. And, you know, um, I'm not, uh, I'm long in the tooth uh, enough to know that, like, if he can't fulfill his football ambitions with Arsenal, he'll move on, as players have done in the past. Yeah, for, for I, I think. time and memorial, um, so. But Arsenal, I don't think we're there yet. Arsenal have a lot to offer Saka right now, actually. I think Arsenal are in an unusually <laughs> good position to be in this contract negotiation. I think they're obviously delighted with him, but I think he's pretty happy here. There was a great photo taken yesterday. Uh, I'm sure you've seen it uh, of um, Jesus, Saka and Martinelli mm. from behind. And yeah, I yeah. thought that photo could make some appearances on social media over the coming season. Yeah. That front three as they play together and develop. Um, I, I'm pretty confident on this one. And actually, like, something I sort of have been feeling generally about the squad and the club is that uh, as we head into the season is, you know, that sense of uh, positivity. And that's why it's a shame that there are, you know, some clouds hanging over the club in some respects. 
But when you look at the group of players we have, mm. the ages that they are, it is just incredibly exciting. And I do wonder, like, you know, a lot of the fans when I was in America and chatting to them about why they started supporting the club and, you know, a lot of them was relatively recent. Some of them, it might be the Invincibles, but some of that it was, you know, well, in 2008, 2009, 2010, Arsenal were this... Uh, you know, exciting young team. Mm. They played really attractive football. If you didn't want to support like the big, super rich clubs, but you wanted to support kind of, you know, one who played good football and had good prospects for the future. And I kind of look at the various squads in the Premier League now, and I think Arsenal might be in a place where they've sort of positioning themselves as that again. And uh, it feels familiar and it feels... Uh, right, like it feels mm. like it, it it matches kind of what Arsenal was represented for a lot of people. So, yeah. I mean, I, I feel encouraged uh, by that. Yeah, for sure. From a footballing perspective, it is very exciting. And I've, I've lost count of the amount of questions that we had, you know, uh, on Twitter and on the Discord as well. It's just literally, how excited are you, mm. you know, for the season to start based on what we've seen in preseason and, and what we've done with the squad? And, you know, it's difficult not to be excited and, and to feel like we are going in the kind of direction we've wanted us to go in for, for a long time, for a long time, you know, and, and for something cohesive and strategic and sensible and intelligent to be built at the football club and for it to pay dividends on the pitch. Of course, you know, we've got to go out and we've got to translate this preseason form into Premier League points and all the rest. We know that. Everyone knows it. But like you say, the age um, of the squad, of the best players that we have in the squad, for the most part, early to mid-20s. And they're potentially going to get better. And they're going to get better at Arsenal. And if they get better at Arsenal, Arsenal get better. So how can you not be excited by that? So Yeah, absolutely. Is it my question? Uh, I think it's you. Yeah, I asked about Saka's contract. Uh, oh, do you want another miserable one or another? Please come yeah. on! There's been way too much optimism on this podcast. I know. Uh, this one comes from Stevie, who's had breakthrough fifty. And he said, a couple of times you've discussed the possibility of an, un uh, an unexpected departure from the squad to balance the books. Who would you consider a possibility if this happens? I have a hunch about Smith Rowe, hopefully not, due to fitness issues. And it's quite interesting. There was a, you know, somebody was talking to me yesterday on Twitter going, how long will Smith Rowe put up with this? I was going, <laughs> well, put, put up with what? Being given the number 10? He's like, he's not fully fit, et cetera, et cetera. But there does seem to be a, a sort of sense that maybe... You know, Smith Rowe could be on the outs. Um, I, I don't get it. I don't see it myself. Um, you know, after what he did last season and the progress he made, I'm excited to see what he can do when he's fully fit. But, you know, obviously the fitness issues will raise question marks in the minds of some people. Yes, I think um, I've always thought that if there is a surprise departure, it might be at centre-back um, mm. just because of the numbers and somebody like Rob Holding. I know that he's not, you know, a, a, a key component of the first team, but I think he was pretty important last year. And I think it would be a slight surprise if he went between now and the end of the window, but I could foresee it happening. Um, 
it was interesting actually i sort of hesitate to um tell this story because i fear it will be misinterpreted but when we were with edu and he was talking about selling players mm. and i don't know if anyone else used this quote um but much as he, he spoke a lot about the need or the fact that selling players will be part of this project eventually, right? You know, mm -hmm. that's the reason you build value in the squad is to eventually cash in on it. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, let's just say we sell Bukayo Saka. And then he was very clear. He's like, you know, we're not going to do that, you know, but mm. let's just say. And there was another instance where he kind of went, you know, if, if uh, you know, we have so much value in the squad now, if, if someone wants to come and talk to us about, say, Gabrielle, come on then. And he kind of was like, bring it on, was the attitude with which he said it, because he knows Arsenal would be in, in a, a very strong position mm. on that particular player. But I just thought it was interesting in the context of stories about Gabriel and Juventus. Um, I, you know, who knows? I, to be honest, I don't think Juventus could pay a fee that would make Arsenal remotely interested in selling Gabriel. But yeah. I, I mean that that is the thing though when you when you build a squad of good players like nobody cares if you sell you know a Mustafi nobody gives a shit but they care when the player is good yeah. and you've got a bit of a connection with them and and look you've got to make you've got to make some difficult decisions at times like you know we had a, a discussion this time last year like what are Arsenal going to do with Joe Willock what mm. should they do with Joe Willock and. You know, he had that incredible run for Newcastle, and you're thinking, well, we could do with a player who scores goals from midfield. That seems like a, a thing we could add. But in the end, the money was good enough. And, you know, with all due respect to Joe, I don't I don't think we'd necessarily missed him. Um, mm. But you, you, you can't, on one hand, complain that your club doesn't sell players for enough money. And then, what am I saying here? I've lost my train of thought. I mean, you you literally can't sell shit players for big money. It's, it's not possible. Nobody can do it. So if you sell a player for good money, chances are it's a good player. And a player yeah, that some it. people are yeah. going to like, you know? And and sometimes, I mean, the, the good sales that Arsenal have made in recent years have probably been Joe Willock, Alex Iwobi, um Emmy Martinez. And I think there's a case that Emmy Martinez is a good sale. And that's not to say that Emmy Martinez is not a good goalkeeper and that we got loads more for him than he was worth, but simply that we had a sort of surplus of goalkeepers at that particular point in time, right? Well, we we got, had Bernd Leno. Yeah, but we also got more for Emmy Martinez when we sold him than we would have done if we had sold him two months previously before the Leno injury. Like if Arsenal had sold Emmy Martinez for 2 million, 3 million, you know, before he had that run in the team, I don't think anyone would have really batted an eyelid. No, of course not. They so, wouldn't. But, you know, so the, the value is created by the quality of what a player gives you on the pitch. Yeah. And I think sooner or later, probably not this summer, but maybe next summer, you know, we've spoken today about Kieran Tierney. Um, potentially clubs might be looking at someone like Gabrielle, uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, the question mentioned. Mm. Probably as soon as next summer, a player we like is going to leave the club because someone's going to come in and say, we, you know, this guy's not played loads of minutes for you. We're going to offer him all the minutes and we're going to offer you a very healthy price for him. Mm. And in that position, 
Arsenal will sell. And there'll be debate about whether or that's the right thing or not. But that will just be part of squad development. And, you know, this is what the big clubs do. We're, we're celebrating um, signings in Chenko and Jesus from Man City. But Man City are looking at it and thinking, well, we've brought in... Is it Alvarez, the striker who mm. scored against Liverpool yesterday? Yeah. And he looks like an incredibly promising player, four years younger than Jesus. Um, you know, almost certainly going to be an Argentinian international. So that's what happens. Mm. And it might be somebody, yeah, if it's like an academy player, it will feel hard and it will feel sore. But, yeah. you know, people debated Alex Wobi at the time and it looks like a very good move at this particular juncture. I don't see anything happening with... You know, any of these big players, Smith Rose and Gabriels no. and Tierney's before the end of this window. I just don't see it. No. But a surprise sale, maybe a holding. Um, mm. It's hard to see too many more than that, though, isn't it? It is because, you know, they are going to get, hopefully, you know, move on the likes of Pablo Marie, Hector Bellerin, mm. Reese Nelson we've talked about, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Lucas Torreira. You know, there's plenty to go. Um but, you know, I do think someone, you know, if you're confident that Saliba is going to be around, um, and maybe even if you're not confident Saliba is going to be around for uh, longer than the two years he's got left, but it feels like a good time to cash in on someone like Rob Holding. Like now would be a, a good time. You could see a role for Rob Holding in this squad this season. He's going to play Europa uh, League. Yeah, yeah exactly. Europa Bruce League. Bridges. You know, there's going to be injuries. There are going to be games where maybe we need to do the Rob Holding, you know, charge of the light brigade. But what's the reverse of charge of the light brigade? Put up the, you know, the Rob Holding wall, whatever it is. The bus or whatever. Yeah, you know, so you, you could easily see how there might be a role in the squad for him. But equally, if someone comes along and sticks 20 million down for Rob Holding, you're you're taking it, you know? Um, yeah, and also there's a, there's the players' side of this as well, you know? Yeah. Do you want to be the kind of guy who comes on for the last 10 minutes or do you want to play week in, week out in the Premier League at 26? As sooner or later, that's a question he he's going to have to, or he may face, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's true. That is true. I mean, I think I was looking the other day um, and Rob Holding's been with us for, what, five years now? Is mm. it five years? He joined the same summer as Shaka, so twenty sixteen. Sixteen, yeah. So one hundred and thirty-eight appearances uh, in six years. So one three eight divided by six. So it's an average of twenty-three appearances a season. Mm. He plays. He plays. Play, you know, it's all right. But like, if you know, if you go to a, I don't know. Forest or Leicester or you know yeah. Everton like, whatever yeah, it is you know w w would you be happier playing 38 games a season and cup games and, and everything else you know it depends on the kind of role that he sees yeah. for his career you know and we're speculating I mean, he, yeah, here, exactly. but, you know. I mean he could go you know he could go to another club a couple of seasons there mm. he's club captain like he's a hero do you know what I mean like, yeah, yeah. I do think there's a there's a parallel career, an alternate career for Rob Holding, where yeah. he's a very solid Premier League centre half who plays week in, week out. Yeah. Um, but he, he loves his time at Arsenal. Yeah, he loves sure. the players. He loves the club. But 
I don't know. I feel like in the next year or two, it's going to be the time. Typically, players make that call mm. as they get into their late 20s, you know, that they, they, they see that their time is finite and they wish to maximise yeah. their time. Well, he's it. 27 in September, Rob yeah. Holding. So, you know, this does feel like the kind of time where that decision might come from him if he's minded to make it. So yeah. we'll see. But we'll see. I mean, yeah. I d like I say, that would be a slight surprise. Because honestly, when I look at the rest of the squad, I think we know mm. who's staying and who's going for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do a couple of quick ones to finish off. Um, oh, Hellcarax, Hellcarax, Hellcaraxe, I don't know, on the Discord, who says, uh, assuming Jesus is our top scorer this year, who will be second from Saka, Martinelli, Smithrow, and Eddie? Are we saying all competitions? Yeah. Then I think it will be Eddie. Ooh. I think, uh, think those Europa League games... If he continues scoring at them in the rate that he has done previously, mm. plus the Premier League minutes, I think he'll get up there. What do you think? I was going to say Saka. Because of the pens? Yeah, because, yeah, there was a, there was a question, let me see, from Gabby, Gabby, Gabby. Don't know what that means. <laughs> I think uh, it refers to our three Gabrielles <laughs> already, in the squad. Thanks. Gabby, Gabby, Gabby. Gabby, 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 Gabby. Um, at Magnus underscore Holmberg, he said, uh, Saka took the penalty the other day. Do you think he's our designated penalty taker? Is he the best one at the club? I thought that was an interesting, you know, he he was fouled. None of this Thierry Henry, I got fouled, so I'm not taking the penalty nonsense. Mm. None of I that. Mean, listen, I like him taking them and I, I especially like him scoring them. And I love the, uh, you know, the, the redemption narrative from the, the Euro 2020 miss. Mm. Um, I, I will say he's he's not taking penalties that make me think, wow, this guy's some penalty taker. Um, he's not Robin Van Persieing the ball into the top corner. Sure. But then maybe that's fine. I mean, most penalties are scored. So I if there's if he's the best person, great. I'm I'm sure. I'm just, I, I don't. I've never seen Jesus take a penalty. I just looked he, up his penalty stats. Yeah, go on. Penalty scored five. Penalties missed seven. Wow. So I was a little bit surprised yesterday that that it wasn't Gabriel Jesus who stepped up and took it. But I'm guessing that on the training ground they've sorted out the pecking order. Like when X and X and X and X is on the pitch, this is who takes it. So. Yeah, and and ultimately, you know, his penalty yesterday wasn't spectacular, but maybe there's more to it. Maybe he's seeing that goalkeeper go the other way and just thinking, I'll I'll roll it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of players who would like it. You know, Gabby Martinelli strikes me as a guy who'd be desperate to take yeah, penalties yeah, yeah. and score the goals. But didn't you um, say on this very podcast last last season at some point, like if I was Bakayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, I'd be, you know, That's lining myself up for yeah. penalty duty. Yeah, I did. And they were listening. They were? It turns out they were listening. I don't know. but So, yeah, that's why I'm going to go Saka. I'm going to go Saka. And then, okay. and then I'm going to pick a third. And it would be a close run thing between 
Eddie and Martinelli, but I'm going to go Martinelli. I just have a feeling that this is the season when, when the goals start going in for him. That would be great. Mm. I mean, if, if, to be honest, if Gabriel Jesus, Saka and Martinelli can get themselves all three, you know, over 15 goals, do you know mm. what I mean? Like, I'm not obsessed about one guy's got to get 20. Like, if Jesus doesn't score 30 goals or 20 goals, I ain't going to lose any sleep over that. It's all about the collective. Mm. And it's actually probably healthier for us if it's shared around. Um Yeah. I mean, you know, let's not forget Emil Smith-Rowe scored a lot of goals for Arsenal last season. Um, he did, so yeah. I mean, he got, what, 11, 10, 11 yeah. goals last yeah. season? So there's a few yeah. who could uh, be in contention. Maybe Eddie's a bit... Maybe Eddie's not going to play enough minutes, but I'll stick to my prediction. Okay. Um, my general point is I think Eddie's going to score goals. That's my general point. No, I think he will. And I think you're right. You know, if we can get a couple of EFL Cup games, he's got the Europa League group games, you know, I think he will score goals. And I think he'll score goals at Premier League level as well. Um, um, you know, maybe the thing that he needs to be able to do, you know, in the Premier League is have an impact off the bench. And I'm mm -hmm. not, I haven't looked it up really but it strikes me that most of Eddie's goals come when he starts rather than when he comes off the bench. But that, that could be just be circumstantial. For you know? Yeah, it would. could, you know, be this kind of guy that you could turn to in those moments. I've always said that I always think Eddie's sort of best case scenario. I always think of um, when Hernandez was at United mm. and he was just such a good penalty box predator mm. and they could use him you know, to start some games, but often off the bench. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't especially physical, but he just had a sense of where to be. And I think yeah. Eddie does share that. So we'll see. All right. Cole Lynch, who's at underscore CL72 underscore said, Afternoon, gents. Would love a quick discussion on Gary Neville's growing bitterness towards Arsenal. <laughs> With a lot he of really bit there. back today. Did you <laughs> see did. that on Twitter? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, people are still digging him out over the whole not Arsenal don't have a plan. I can't see what the plan is. Um, which is fair enough. That was a, I mean, listen, if I was picked up on everything stupid I've said on this podcast, I'd be in big trouble, but well, it's okay. All the, the aggregators will do it. Like the minute this podcast finishes, you know, Arsenal to sell Gabrielle. Yeah. Gunner blog confirms, <laughs> but Juventus uh, yeah. <laughs> in for Gabrielle. Um, yeah, I think, um, I, I think, uh, yeah, so anyway, I think he, he, he warrants a bit of stick for it, but he really bit back and was like, Arsenal have, uh, you know, stuffed their best ever chance of top four or something like that. Yeah. Is that the strategy? You you blew up with the best chance you'll have of finishing fourth. Is that the strategy? But also, it's a stupid thing to say because the, <laughs> the other answer, the question is, well, no. That's Why would to that do be with anybody's strategy anyway? Yeah. Our strategy Stra is to get within touching distance of the Champions League and then blow it. Yes. What a tremendous yeah. idea that is. Strategy is to build a better squad, a yeah. younger squad that has more value in it. And you can't really argue that Arsenal are doing that. Um, obviously, the results on the pitch, there are certain other variables at play, but mm. we finished above his beloved Manchester United, at least. That is true. That is true. I know he's been very quiet about Cristiano Ronaldo, not just, you know, just not turning up and everyone is like, well, that's all right. That's very... That's mad, isn't it? ...situation, yeah. The king, didn't he say on Instagram, the king will play on Sunday? He's playing today. 
The king um, will play. Did he really say that? Yeah, he, he commented on a post saying the king will play on Sunday. Um, Jesus. Yeah. yeah, that's very funny. I mean, they're paying him so much money and he basically just didn't come to training for yeah. quite a long time. Just like, fuck it. I don't, you know, I want to leave. And then it's like, eh, it doesn't matter what I do. I'll do whatever I want, you know. <laughs> this is crazy. Like, you know, I don't know why there isn't, you know, more reporting on this, but there you go. Um, final oh. one, final one. Comes from Aaron Sidwell on the Discord. He said, why can't Nigel Winterburn say... Sevilla. There are about 12 different renditions of the name. It reminded me of Benedict Cumberbatch's problem saying penguins. And if people haven't heard that, here's Benedict Cumberbatch trying to say the word penguin. Is penguins. Crested penguins. Parent penguin heading home. So why are these woodlands so attractive to penguins? Do you ever see a penguin? A penguin? Pe penguin. That's so weird. That strikes me. <laughs> Cumberbatch strikes me as the kind of guy who would think he's landed on the correct pronunciation and everyone else is wrong. Um, <laughs> Maybe so. How was Winterburn saying Sevilla? I didn't notice Did that. you not notice? I mean, it was... Sometimes it was Seville. Right. Sometimes it was Sevilla. Sometimes yeah. it was Sevilla. Sevilla. Uh, there were about four or five. It was quite I was funny. too cross at the... Uh, the lack of goals <laughs> for um, continually cutting away from the Arsenal what counter What was that? There was one. Know. There was one in particular. I think, did they have a corner? And the commentators are going, oh my goodness, what an amazing distribution that is from Aaron Ramsdale. Yeah. And we've got a close-up of uh, Lopetegui on the sideline just sort of standing there going, oh, this is... They did Ramsdale a few times, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there were a few like raking passes, I gather. Um, yeah, I didn't, didn't see them. See. So he'll be furious, I imagine. Words will be had. But I, yeah, I mean, listen, I enjoy a close-up of Ben White. We all do. Mm. But not when there's a counter-attack happening and we nearly score. It was, yeah, it was it was tough going at times. I, I, I demand my <laughs> six pounds back. <laughs> I loved, I, I laughed my head off at halftime when the, um, it was Adrian Clark and Nicole Holiday. Um, yeah, doing the halftime and they're both standing there <laughs> with these enormous I think these are like pitch side microphones pitch side boom mics with the big um, you know pop shield the big windshields on them and they're standing there holding these gigantic things like oh no big deal we're just you know this is completely normal <laughs> standing talking into those microphones it was very funny very <laughs> funny um, yeah so yeah, some frustration there. And Nigel Winterburn, listen, it was lovely to hear him. Does he do a lot of stuff for Arsenal.com? He must do. I think he does all right, yeah. Because um, normally I don't get the the Arsenal.com coverage on things. But no. given that it was it was only on uh, Arsenal.com. Well, look, if he's working for them next season, he'll have a lot more. We I, mean, I mean, I fear for him in the Europa League, to be honest, we, some of the teams we might come up against there. We need to just send him to uh, Sevilla Zoo <laughs> so he can just sort of chill out with the penguins. The penguins. The penguins. Speaking of birds, by the way. Uh-oh. <gasps> yeah? A guy on Twitter called Johnny, who's at Fruit All Sorts, I sort of can't believe this. He sent me, um, he's reworked the lyrics to uh, North London Forever, The Angel, <laughs> to be about magpies. No way. Yeah, he just said, I don't know if you read your DMs. I don't know, I've exposed the fact that I occasionally do here. 
Um, some of the Arsenal news has been a bit grim for the last couple of days, so I had to funnel that into a magpie-based North London Forever <laughs> tune. And I'll just give you the chorus, right? Okay. So it goes, Fuck! Magpies forever. <laughs> They're black and white feathers. I much prefer crows. And my heart will love magpies never. Their beaks will forever make me feel cold. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> now... I will tell you that I replied to him saying, thanks, Johnny, I love this. <laughs> and he said, oh, that's good, because I've got the first verses to go with the chorus. So if I <laughs> I won't subject you all to it now, but if I get a spare moment this week, I will lay down. Oh, my um, goodness. Johnny's uh, verse. In, in the if, style... there's an, if there's sufficient demand. In the style of Lewis Capaldi. In the style of Lewis Capaldi. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I don't even want to go there. Let me just read this out because this was good, actually, from okay. um, Jad Rodro. Let me see if I'm pronouncing that right. Lad Rodo. I think it's Lad Rodo, anyway, on the Discord. Uh, I apologize if I got that wrong. And he said, uh, This isn't much of a question, as there's much more of a, a story I need to tell you. My girlfriend and I live together and have two dogs. One, Squid is very scared of thunderstorms. We live in the southern U.S., so it storms regularly during the summer, and whenever it does, she shakes and pants and tries to hide in the closet. We've tried all kinds of things to calm her down during storms, but the one remedy that seems to have worked recently is giving her a good dose of the Arscast Extra. No Last way. week, I came home to hear James and Andrew's voices coming from down the hall. I walked down to see, as, as maybe I left the podcast on earlier or something, but no, my girlfriend had set up the phone on Spotify in Squid's crate, and there was Squid calmly sitting there listening to you, to, uh, you two talk about Arsenal's US tour. So thanks very much for all you do. I mean, we're, we're basically dog whisperers now as well. This incredible. is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, if... I don't know how comforting the dog will have found me singing Fuck Magpies Forever, but um, yeah, hopefully it's still <laughs> calm and settled. All right, well, listen, uh, give Squid a good pat on the head for us, um, and hopefully there are no more storms for her to deal with. Um, we will be doing plenty of stuff during the week uh, because it is the build-up to the new season, so we will be previewing the new season. We'll have preview podcasts. We'll have our preview podcast on Patreon as well. Uh, so keep an eye out for all of that stuff. As always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, apologies for the weird timing, but, you know, we're going to have to get used to this over the coming weeks, and we will catch you on the next one. Oh, and good luck to the Lionesses. Although, oh, yeah. Uh, it's kicking off now. They'll probably know the result by the time we listen to this, yeah. Yeah, especially the, the Gooners in that team. Okay, bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.